Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And uh, we're back on, on schedule for now, right? Mm. We're doing these every week now. That yep. won't be the case next That is week, not right? going to be the case. It's Yeah, we're going to be off. Not off, but like, because uh, I'm going to be traveling soon, and our recording schedule is going to be a little bit on the next few weeks, so... Who knows when we'll do this again? Yeah, we're going to have to do a monster one in like a, a month yeah. or so. Um, but uh, uh, it's been seven days and I've watched six movies. So okay. um, obviously I hate myself um, for not living up to my one movie a day. Oh, get ready because yeah. you're going to hate me. Uh, <laughs> but I don't hold it. you to that standard. See, and I think that's, you know, you and I are both inclined to uh, dislike ourselves and and I'll, I'll tell you what people tell me and it never works, but uh, maybe it'll work for you. And although I'm sure you've heard it before, which is like, if, if anybody, if you saw someone treating someone else, the uh, way you treated yourself, yeah. you'd be, you'd be f- furious and you'd have tremendous compassion for the person being treated that way. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, it's so similarly, like, you know, if you have a lot of compassion for me, having only seen two movies in the last seven days, uh, then surely, surely you can have compassion for yourself who has a full time job and friends right. and someone in his life that he loves. Surely you can have compassion for yourself yeah. for uh, watching a mere six movies in seven days. <laughs> and I'll remind you again that you and I have been, have marveled in the past when people say that they go to like the go to the theater like twice a year yeah you know uh so compared to the nor the normies i mean you are uh uh ubermensch you know (laughs) but uh anyway so yeah just uh cut yourself a little slack if you're gonna cut me slack you should definitely cut you slack um we're gonna kick things off with the movie that i watched uh after we finished recording our uh last week okay i watched nicole beckwith's together together which is a it played uh, virtual Sundance in 2021 and it's just this is gonna excuse me this is gonna sound mean but it's just uh it's a Sundance type of movie in every way yes. like uh, just like uh uh cute quirky like American indie about like two charming good-looking sad people who find each other yeah <laughs> you know um uh the premise here is um does have some specificity to it. Ed Helms plays a man who has been unlucky in love his whole life and has always wanted children. And so has decided to just like have a child, um, you know, uh, through, I guess he's given, finding an egg donor, you know, and, and, and so he hires a woman, young woman um, played by comedian Patty Harrison to be his surrogate. It's not, her egg she's just right carrying the the baby and um i guess the the thing that i think is charming that when the movie works for the most part it just seems like i've seen this kind of story not this obviously i mentioned this specific story i haven't seen before but the broader story like i mentioned sad people finding each other (laughs) um yeah it is is so it it feels like so paint by numbers for this type of you know 90 minute american indie movie that you can you know it's like independent film that you can watch with your parents that sort of thing oh, um, uh but uh i guess the one thing that does seem that, that i do like about this if i'm going to say something nice is that it is a friendship movie like it's oh, not okay it's I do like those. Yeah, it's it's not about you. You think it's going to be like, oh, she's carrying a baby for him, but and, and he's always been unlucky in love. But it turns out this is a fate has brought them together. No, it's not like that. They become good friends, and it's a movie about friendship. But I, um, I appreciate that, and I think that made me want made me want to like it more. Plus, I've always liked Ed Helms, and I've come to really like uh, Patty Harrison. Um, you. 
um, I know you've watched all of, I think you should leave. Indeed. Yes. Um, so you imagine her saying, what did Eddie Munster do to my <laughs> okay, table? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the other one where she's the like, um, <laughs> shark tank person, but she like, yeah got her money from suing the city because she was so inside the Charlie Brown leg of the Macy's day parade. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so I really like her. She's very funny. I'm sure, I have no doubt. Yes. But, uh, it's just, it's just not my, my kind of movie. Um, uh, all right. I can oh, just... It's so dirty. <laughs> uh, and then there's also the one in the first season. She's the one who's like, um, keeps making jokes about Santa coming early because a new printer is the, the office got a new printer. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anytime someone it's, it's that show. Anytime somebody references, it's like, yeah, I'm get, That's what I'm going to be doing instead of watching a movie, uh, later tonight. Uh, and then I, um, filled in a real, uh, blind spot for myself. Okay. I watched, Blake Edwards, 1961 film, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, wow. All right. And um, I I knew that Mickey Rooney played a Japanese character. I knew that. I didn't Had realize, you not seen any clips or anything? No, I'd never, I didn't realize how shockingly offensive it is from the jump. Like, it's, yeah. it shows up so early in the movie. It's... Uh, a, like an ugly caricature. Um, and uh, it, it like it, it's screen time wise, it's a small part of the movie. And there's actually like Audrey Hepburn is so great in this movie. Right. But I feel like the, what maybe at one point was an asterisk has grown to like blot out most of the movie. Uh, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to justify the the rest of the movie. Um, setting that aside, there's a lot about it that I really like. It's, you know, we had a, I can't remember if it was on an upcoming Patreon mailbag or last month's Patreon mailbag, but one of the, our patrons asked like, um, what movies made you immediately want to go out and read the book? Yeah. And I feel like I need to, um, I need to get, I haven't read the novella breakfast of Tiffany's, which I also looked up that it's a novella, which makes it so funny to me that George Costanza went to such great lengths to not read <laughs> this book. That's like 153 pages. <laughs> anyway. Um, Wouldn't it be I, funny if in the novella, like that, that Mickey Rooney character, just like his, his lines are like phonetic and it's just right. as racist yeah. As, yeah. as the movie. Um, I, yeah. So I need to go get the book. I haven't because Listeners might be able to tell I'm actually a little under the weather right now, which mm -hmm. is weird. It's the first time I've had anything uh, in two and a half years. Um, so far, there is no sign that it's COVID. Uh, I was telling Tyler beforehand, as of recording, I haven't tested because um, Natalie and I are like just schedule-wise in a bit of self-isolation for the next couple of days anyway. So I will test before I'm going to see anyone. But also, Natalie had this before me and she tested negative twice. So I feel like I probably just got a cold from her. Sure. But anyway, it just, just want to, um, but anyway, that's why I haven't, uh, I, I, I want to go to the bookstore and get breakfast at Tiffany's, but I kind of want to like wait to the weekend and, uh, make sure I don't have COVID for, for sure before I go pick up uh, a copy of breakfast at Tiffany's. Just at order from Iliad. Amazon. You'll be fine. No, I like to support the Iliad. <laughs> Iliad's uh, a good bookstore. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta shout them out. One of the best used bookstores in, uh, in Los Angeles. Um, yeah. And it's uh, here, here in North Hollywood. And, and then, yeah, so I want to go to the Iliad and get breakfast at Tiffany's. When you go there, you feel like you're going, you're like, and I say this in a good way. It's like you're going through the archives of something. Yeah. Like just, especially like, as you move a little bit further back in the store, you just like, it's so quiet back there. You yeah. just feel like you're about to stumble on something like a, a file that you're not supposed to see or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's, I mean, you just, you just described most great bookstores and that's, sure. that's the Iliad is, is one of those. And of course, like most great bookstores, it also has cats. There are cats Indeed. at the store. That's Indeed. a sign of a good bookstore. Uh, so yeah, shout out to the Iliad. Uh, yeah. Breakfast. I want to, I want to, uh, I want to read the, the, the book. Um, it's a, 
the movie itself is i mean i like blake edwards but i really would find myself focusing more on on audrey hepburn and um the uh the sadness in her performance and in mm. the way like and some of that obviously comes from the we learn more about her 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 backstory but like she's this wild you know party girl who who uh devil may care you know uh, uh impulsive party girl but like the 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 sadness and the pain behind that is apparent from the beginning and, and it's a really great performance anyway next up for me is a movie mm-hmm. uh a 2021 movie, even though it was nominated for an Oscar in the last year's uh, okay. um, ceremony, uh, Lee Daniels, The United States versus Billie Holiday. Ah, yes. And uh, I, I am just a sucker for Lee Daniels. Uh, <laughs> okay. Like, I feel like there's a, there's a, there's a way you could make this movie that like the, the script that he has is so on the nose that it like you could, I, you, I could see it bothering me in the way that like Adam McKay's script being so on the nose, Um, you know, the, uh, the United States versus Billy holiday. It's it's, so it's a movie about about Billy holiday, but it's specifically about um, the FBI's repeated attempts to, um, catch her and prosecute her for heroin possession um as a way of discouraging her from popularizing the song strange fruit that's the story of the movie um when the fbi guys when the white fbi guys are all sitting around talking about billy holiday it's i mean i like I do like how Die Hard works its way into other conversations you have fbi guys fbi yeah. guys yeah it's like i, I mean on the one hand, I I understand there was a time like the thing we live in a time where there is still a lot of racism. Mm-hmm. Often, though, people in professional settings understand at the very least that racism is impolite, and so they don't like <laughs> sure. the, like I, you know I, they have racist point of views, but you don't like in an office meeting you generally don't hear people just like throwing around the N-word, right. unless you work for papa john <laughs> that's why he was room for the company because he used the n-word on a conference call oh <laughs> um, yeah I, I didn't know that yeah that's, that's oh that's wow um anyway so uh so like uh, on the one hand i'm like yeah this in the in the 30s and 40s this was probably or i guess the, this movie because she's already famous when we start so this is like 40s into the 60s i guess um because i think she died in the 60s i can't remember um anyway it's like on the one hand it's like yeah it probably was less guarded when it was like all us you know white good old boys but it also just feels like uh so such an exaggerated portrait portrait of of racism but the thing is I like that about Lee Daniels. I like that he's he's always been in everything but the kitchen sink type of yeah. filmmaker, you know. So he's um, he's hitting you with both barrels at all times because it feels like. So my my hang up there of like, were the FBI really sitting around and using this? very specific racist language over and over again. I don't know if they really were, but the effect of their, of, right. of, of their pursuit of their, of their manhunt and of their obfuscation and, and, and depression of her is that that language embodies the damage they were seeking to do right. to, to her and to her reputation and to the uh, visibility of the lynching of black people uh, in, in, in America. And so it all like, it becomes, I think that's the difference between um, Lee Daniels and Adam McKay. One of many differences is Lee Daniels just a better filmmaker. Like his movies always look great. Um, uh, And also he understands uh, like, is the word like, dramaturgy maybe is the word i'm looking for here Hmm. um 
like he he understands the things that that stories are a symbol for bigger things and not in a like obvious you know uh uh allegorical way like don't look up i i, I mean like emotionally they stand for bigger things and they are bigger than, yeah. all his movies are larger than life um, if if the term didn't already have an association i would describe his films as expressionistic where like everything they're about is reflected in the look yeah. the the character uh arcs and the dialogue and all of that like everything in his movies and it does and they don't always work for me but like in his movies like everything is the essence of what it is which means it tends to be a bit more simplified and more boiled down which can be off-putting sometimes uh like i remember i liked like as I was watching Precious, it's like this feels like it shouldn't be working. In fact, it feels like I and that I should be somehow offended by what he is doing here. And yet somehow there's just there's he's still so, he's still engaging with the material. He's just gauge, engaging with it on a lo, on a on a deeper level and bringing that to the surface. And somehow and and I you know what I'm not a big fan of the Paperboy, but I do wonder if I were to watch it again, knowing what it is would i like it more now than when i saw it i think i admired it at the time uh i just yeah. didn't enjoy it that much that's the thing there's no there's no half measures there's nothing nothing held in yeah. reserve there's there's very little as i mean in some ways obviously he's very aware of what he's saying but in in the negative sense there's no self-consciousness to his direction yeah. he's making things that could easily be mocked but he makes them with such bravado uh, there's something else I was going to say, and I forgot what it is, but I'll also, I'll, I'll point out, um, uh, no, it's not your fault. Um, I'll point out, there's also a bunch of great performances in, in the movie. I, Andrew Day, who was the, the Oscar I need that I mentioned yeah. before, who is, um, from what I understand, um, I guess she's like a, is she a stage actor? Cause she hasn't been in a lot of movies. I think she's like a stage um actor and, and and singer but uh she's fantastic you've got trevante rhodes from uh oh, sure. from moonlight uh garrett headland uh leslie jordan i love leslie jordan um you recognize him he's like the yeah. small older like very very gay guy yes, who's got it uh, yeah. like he was on will and grace a lot um and he wears an amazing wig in the united states for Holiday. <laughs> uh natasha leone plays tulu bankhead uh rob morgan is in it divine joy randolph uh another actor i've come to like a lot recently i never watched everybody hates chris but tyler james williams who, sure. now, who is now a grown-up um he's on abbott elementary which patreon if you go to patreon.com slash battleship retention and sign up you can hear us me talk about abbott elementary on the most recent tv journal um and i really like him on that and i really like him in 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 this as one of as a member of uh billy holiday's band he's he's uh um a very handsome actor but also like a like he's known for comedy but he also seems to be a cerebral actor you know you, he's the kind of actor you always see his characters thinking uh yeah. Anyway, I've gone on too long about this movie, but um, I really, really enjoyed it. All right. So uh, being as far behind on like 2021 movies as I am, you would think that I would have prioritized one. I didn't (laughs) because as I sometimes do, I, uh, I took advantage of, uh, of my, I, I think accidental inclusion on a, on a list on a publicist list oh, from yeah. uh, so um, uh, so the latest, well, not the latest, but like a, a recent release by a film detective is monster from green hell. Oh, and it, cool. and the name itself struck me. And when I read about it, it's like, you know what? Yes, I will take that Blu-ray. Thank you very much. So I received it. And on a night that I was thinking, maybe I'll watch drive my car. That's the day I received the Blu-ray. I was like, I know what I'm doing now. Uh, I'm not going to watch this three hour masterpiece. I'm going to watch this hour and seven minute, barely, uh, you know, barely watchable movie. Uh, So yeah, it's, and, and also for good measure, it's probably a little racist. Um, because uh well so the the story is uh, be a theme in, in today's movie journal uh yeah uh when was when was breakfast at tiffany's made what year 
Uh, 61. 61. Okay, we got 57 but, here. But so. like, to go back to Brexit, I need to look it up. 1961 is recent enough. There must have been like outrage at the time. Oh, sure. There has there had to have been. Yeah. You know, I mean, th- there was actual we don't talk about it, but like there was outrage when Birth of a Nation came out. Like yeah, there are yeah, people at yeah. the time who said like this is this is pretty rough. Um, yeah. So well, surely uh, at 61, uh, they must have. Yeah. I'm going to uh, sorry. I'm going to side uh, uh, steal this bottle and go because that we like. I feel like we say stuff uh, like what I just said, like, oh, surely people at the time must have been upset. And you were saying it about um, Birth of a Nation. I feel like it just it just occurred to me that I realized that I, I was like gauging by like certainly even white people at the time must have been upset because like sure Asian people or black people in the, at the time of birth of a nation, like they knew when shit was racist. So when oh, we say yes. like, like, Oh, it's, it's so racist that they even acknowledged at the time. What we mean is like right. even white people saw that it was racist yes. at the time. Yes. The people who were the victims of the racism, like, yeah, they're, they're pretty clued in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> that just occurred to me as we were talking and I, yeah. Uh, I um, so, uh, yeah, so Monster from Green Hell, it's it's 57, smack dab in the middle of the giant animals, uh, you know, animals made giant through radiation of some kind. It's that. Uh, so these scientists, their whole job is to uh, send animals up into space where they will get hit with uh, like space radiation. Okay. And then the animals come back down and they just test the the effect of radiation like oh this rat was uh brown and now it's white um that's not the racist part that i'm talking about um and so the uh but then and and what's more this is the other thing from a story standpoint look i know nobody goes to see monster from green hell directed by kenneth g crane by the way um nobody goes to see it for like you know in-depth story consistency but you know, the, the rockets go up then they come down and then like, oh, shoot, we lost one. Uh, we lost a rocket came down uh, in Africa. And incidentally, like the animals in that rocket were exposed essentially like every every other situation is like, oh, they're exposed to uh, 40 seconds of radiation. And these are the effects. Oh, shit. This one was 40 hours and it went and it land it like it went off course landed in africa and our two main scientists are like oh boy hope nothing bad happens like they don't (laughs) go there they don't they don't follow up or anything like that it isn't until you uh people in africa uh start to talk about uh giant monsters that are killing people and 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 killing other animals and stuff that these two guys like you know what maybe let's go like it's been six months. That's what it is. It's like, do you think maybe this has to do with that rocket that we lost in Africa six months ago? <laughs> and it's just like, it's, it is hilarious. It is often hilarious. Um, and the, uh, the monster in question is a wasp, David. Oh, I know no. you're terrified. Oh yeah, boy. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm like phobic. This is your least fit, you know, admittedly, like, you know, the movie tarantula, the effects are kind of silly and stuff, but, being, uh, you know, uh, arachnophobic as I am, uh, I watched tarantulas like, yep, still, still creeps me out. You might, you might watch this and it might be the most frightening experience of your life. However, I don't think it will be because okay. <laughs> the wasp effects are not great. Um, in fact, it, as far as I can tell, despite it being giant, it is the slowest moving entity <laughs> to ever exist. Um, and, uh, it's so like the, the effects are, are, are ridiculous. They do have like, you know, a, a big giant wasp head, but also, but also a wasp body, but like they didn't make the, they didn't make the, the wings big enough. So like, it just looks like it's, it's hovering with like these tiny little adorable wings. Um, <laughs> So there's all that. And then there's also the fact that like, okay, well here they're in this situation where they go to Africa. So of course there are all these like native tribes and stuff who are uh, understandably, they are uh, frightened of, of, uh, of these giant wasps. Uh, and so like then these scientists and then like this other guy, who's a, like a missionary and a doctor who's been working with the local tribes, like they just put everything down to like, Oh, it's just superstition. 
you know, so they, the, uh, and then the, and so the film is admittedly saying like, it isn't, you guys are assuming the wrong thing. Yeah. Uh, so on one hand it's like, okay, so it is, I guess it's kind of in its own way, condemning their assumptions about like these native tribes, but also just in the depiction of the native tribes, it's, it's pretty reductive and in speaking purely in terms of stereotype. Um, so the movie is, it's tough. This is, this is exactly what happened with, uh, Oh hell. Now I don't remember the last, the last one of these I watched Uh giant from the unknown. Giant from the unknown. Yeah. 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 That's right. So I watched these thing like, Oh, they're going to be fun. And then you remember like, Oh yes. These are often kind of boring because they're just like, they don't have the, that's something that when talking about bad movies, that is something that people don't address enough. They are often quite boring. I think mystery science theater has fooled us into thinking that these movies are hilarious all the time. It's like, no, 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 no. They're hilarious when you have paid brilliant comedic writers to spot, to speak over the boredom. Uh, When you don't have that, you're just like, come on guys. Let's, (laughs) was this boring to you when you were making, you only have an hour and seven minutes. And, and there's a lot of filler here. Um, so yeah, uh, monster from green hell, not very good. A little bit racist. Uh, it is funny at times for sure. But, uh, but yeah, gorgeous transfer. I'll say that like a nice 4k transfer. Do, good job. Film detective. Do you and, know, and, I, uh, uh, and a, uh, a colorized finale. I should have, I should mention no. that as well. Uh, I met Phil, the film detective. Oh, nice. Um, uh, at a, it was, I was there for a, in Vegas for a work thing in, I want to say 2018, but, um, we were both at the same, like, uh, client dinner. I guess we like my company and the film detective must use the same vendor. And they took a bunch of like people out to dinner during this conference. And, and like, he, I remember really, like, I was talking to this guy about old movies and he mentioned this movie, the vampire bat. And I was like, oh yeah, I just watched, uh, this company, the film detective, just put that out on Blu-ray. And he was like, that's me. I'm the film detective. (laughs) Uh, Really Uh, nice guy. I had a good chat with him. You know what? I might have met him. I met somebody from film detective. Uh, Pretty much just. Okay. Good. I I think as they've, as they've grown, there are other people now, but like uh, it's mostly him. From what I understand. I had a table at Cinecon uh, in Hollywood a few years ago, and uh, I I saw that Film Detective had a table there as well. So I walked up and talked to somebody from them, but I don't remember who it was. It might have been him. Yeah. But anyway. okay. All right. um, Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're back, and I'm ready to dive back into the movies that I watched uh, starting the second half of the show with uh, the new Abel Ferrara film, Zeros and Ones, which is um, his COVID movie. Uh, in a way, it's not specifically about COVID, but it clearly takes place during during all of this. Um, Ethan Hawke plays some sort of uh, American-like special for- forces um, intelligence, I don't know, soldier, operative, whatever, who's um, in Rome to try and foil a, uh, to uncover and foil a terrorist plot against the Vatican. That's the story or the you know but like (laughs) okay it's really just it's very much a mood piece a paranoid like mood like covid mood mood piece it takes place all in one night of ethan hawk like going to different people's homes and apartments and putting on and taking off masks and putting in and and using hand sanitizer and, and having these uh uh furtive conversations uh and um 
meanwhile, he, he so that's his main character, but he also in video footage plays his own twin brother who is some sort of activist. Okay. Um, the movie is intentionally like KG about what side of things he's on because we actually hear different people describe him as different things, anarchist, communist, you know, like which are very different things. So I, I like, I, and I think that's, that's kind of extremely different things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like, uh, um, I think that's kind of what as far as is, is pondering here in terms of like the, the things that we believe in and then the people that matter to us don't always line up. And sometimes we have to decide what's more important and hopefully mm. it's, hopefully it's the people, you know, or at least the movie seems to be, uh, to, to feel with, uh, that Ethan Hawke is, um, uh, ultimately we're com- more committed to his, his brother with whom he's lost touch and, and trying yeah. to like find and help him. But, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's just Abel Ferrara doing what, uh, he does just following his muse. I don't think it's quite as good as Tomasa, which was his last, uh, sure. Rome set movie with, with Willem Dafoe, which is great. Um, but this one, you can, you, you still can feel him working at, at something. And I love, even though reading reviews, I see this called out more than once as a negative thing. I love Sean Price Williams cinematography here because the movie is entirely at night shot digitally and it looks, it looks muddy a lot of the time. It looks, mm-hmm. there's a lot of noise because the, the, I'm not sure whatever digital cameras they're using are maybe not the highest end ones that are, that are pushing, you know, too hard to find something in the darkness. Right. So visually and kind of like the movie, I feel like, uh, echoes what Ethan Hawke is is doing, you know, searching, trying yeah. to trying to make sense of things in in the dark, and that's what the the muddy digital image is is doing. And it also obviously recalls the way that, like you and I are talking right now, the way that we've done yeah. so much communicating over the past two years is is through uh, digital images. Uh, so it's definitely not top tier Ferrara, but if you are a Ferrara guy yeah. or gal. Um, um, or whatever, and I mean to be binary. Um, a Ferrara head, binary, as they yeah, would say. It's funny I said binary in the movies called Zeros and Ones. Hey. Um, anyway, but uh, definitely worth worth checking out if you're already on board with the whole Abel Ferrara thing, if or the Ethan Hawke thing, because it's another sure. Uh, interestingly, the I'm not sure if this is. Yeah, uh, I, I, I rented it from a streaming service and it started with an intro by Ethan Hawke. And it was interesting him talking about Abel Ferrara and um, sort of talking about his job as an actor. I never heard an actor say this, this way. Cause so often you hear, you think of like people talking about acting as, you know, my process, my motivation, right. but he seemed to be talking about, acting as if his job first and foremost is to serve the vision of the director, but more importantly, I think, and this is what speaks to what I think people like about Ethan Hawke so much using it, not only his talent, but also his celebrity and notoriety to bring attention to, to, to other uh, to directors that he loves, uh, that he actually sees that as a part of his job as a famous actor to, to, uh, highlight, um, and support, uh, directors he believes in. I thought that was really, uh, an interesting thing. I don't know. I don't know why there needed to be an intro on the, (laughs) on the rental. Honestly, I do. I wonder if, because like the cover art looks like this looks like it's one of those, and the premise that I'm saying, like he's trying to foil a plot to blow up the Vatican. It feels like a direct to video, like thriller type thing. And I wonder if the intro by Ethan Hawke is meant to be like, hold on, brace yourself. Sure. What you're about to see is not, you know, uh, a, um, a direct video. Yeah. If somebody yeah, picks, yeah. picks it up on Redbox or something like that. Yeah. Uh, okay. There Next are up- so many movies. I know that we, we can't get off on this, but like, you know, uh, here I am making fun of something like uh, monster from green hell. Um, 
and this feeling of like, oh, they don't really make movies like that anymore. I remember that's something that Frank Conniff said when he was right, on the show yeah. many years ago. Um, and, and, you know, you and I came up with the, you know, the indignities of straight to video, but there is like, you could call it straight to streaming or straight to, you know, Redbox or something like that. But like, there yeah. is this subcategory uh, that people are becoming more aware of now of like, Actors like certainly Bruce Willis, but like a John Cusack, uh, Nicholas Cage, like these actors who still haven't still have a name to them and might still even put out a good product. But you can get them for like a million dollars for limited screen time in a really cheap, not well thought out movie, throw it on Redbox put this person's head very prominently on the, on the poster or cover art, whatever you want to say. Um, yeah. And I guess you'll fool people into, into renting it. It's uh, it really is fascinating to me. Sorry. It's just, yeah. you know, and so I love the idea that this could be that, you know, there's Ethan Hawke's head uh, and people are like, Oh good. I'm going to watch this. Uh, I'm going to watch this thing just like that terrible uh, Bruce Willis movie. And then it turns out to be and then they <laughs> accidentally rent an Abel Ferrara film. Yeah. Uh, okay. Moving on. Speaking of communicating via, via screens, um, I watched a movie that is, I think uh, it's a new movie. It hasn't officially been released in the U S yet. It's coming out in April um, that I think belongs in the pantheon of great movies about the internet. Okay. It's called uh, we're all going to the world's fair. It's directed by Jane Schoenbrunn. Uh And it's about a uh, sad, lonely, awkward, teenage girl um who has a youtube channel so you think it's going to start it's like like eighth grade almost yeah but um she she does this thing called the world's fair challenge it's supposed to be this like creepy thing you like prick your finger and say a thing into the Hmm. camera and like it's supposed to think weird things are supposed to start happening uh to you And, and she does that and um weird things maybe do or don't stop start happening to her maybe it's in her head but then Hmm. someone else who's a world's fair challenge expert starts reaching out to her and they start this somewhat anonymous uh uh virtual communication and uh the i think it's the rare movie about teenagers putting themselves in dangerous positions, especially via the internet that doesn't seem to be told from the point of view of, uh, horrified or concerned adults. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, we're, uh, she's the one with agency and we're in her head. Um, so this isn't a, like, you know, I've, I've liked some Catherine Hardwick stuff, but like 13, that movie, I always sure. roll my eyes at that, like, you know, glorified after school special crap of like, Oh my God, the teens. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I've always, um, uh, been turned off by that sort of thing. That's not what, what this is. She's, she's a lost and sad, uh, girl who doesn't have a good relationship with, with her, with her parents, but there are no easy answers. She seems to be kind of a, stand in for a generation who maybe like have um, grown up at a time when virtual or parasocial relationships are the norm and where so much of life and the world comes through a screen and images have been intentionally manipulated that the the line between reality and unreality is it's not, they're not wrong. It's just, they have a different way of, 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 uh, what's I'm looking for connecting with, 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 with reality. Um, because that, like that's the movie takes place in the space where like this world's fair challenge and the videos that people make, within the within the reality movie the like videos people make about like horrible things happening to them like some of them like it's very many of them it's very clearly like 
edited. It's a, it's a put on or it's fun or it's meant to just be a horror thing. And like, there seems to be me from an old person's point of view, there's a, a unsettling vagueness, a nebulousness between where this character, these characters, where their understanding of this is fake comes in. They clearly know it's fake, but also do they <laughs> like, right. uh, and, and I think the movie is like comfortable, more comfortable in a way that is the movie's often very scary, but also often very funny in a dry way. Um, but the way the movie is, is, is comfortable settling in to that, um, uh, fuzzy, uh, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Uh, wispy, uh, mm-hmm. relationship with reality is, uh, really powerful stuff. I, um, I really, Sound- loved, I really loved it. It sounds great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think you would like it too, mostly because I think you have the same sense of humor that I have. Sure. And I think you will find the stuff that I find funny in it to be funny. Uh, and then finally I watched a movie from 1987 that has, uh, recently been, uh, restored and is, um, um, uh, being re-released this weekend. Uh, Patricia Rosema's I've heard the mermaids singing and, uh, this is uh, a a lovely story of, um, I would say, I, I don't want to, there are definitely queer and lesbian elements to it, but really it feels more like a story of female infatuation, that it's about this woman who's a uh, in her early 30s, she lives in Toronto and she works as a, as a temp, doesn't really have any... Um, uh, very solid relationships with people. She has a hobby of taking photographs and then she gets placed as a temp at, uh, um, as an administrative assistant at an art gallery. And the woman who owns the art gallery becomes like, is like everything she didn't realize she wanted in, yeah. in the world. And so she becomes um, again, like sort of infatuated with, with this, uh, with this woman. Um, and so it's also kind of like a, a, a comedy of like a, an insecure, like bumbling, uh, young woman. We've seen that sort of thing, but it's also, uh, as she imagines her, the, the life she would like with this, with this woman, which is like sometimes romantic and sexual, but also sometimes like she imagines herself as being able to like discuss art with the same like language and confidence that the, the art gallery woman uh, does. So the movie has these like montage fantasy sequence, like flights of fancy that are um, uh, really uh, enveloping and entertaining. I think the, uh, the, the actor's name who plays the, the main woman, Polly is uh, Sheila McCarthy. It's a fantastic performance on her part. You really get into her, um, empathize with her vulnerability and her longing, which is, I think those are things that great acting, uh, can really get us into. Um, the movie also last thing I'll say on it, Tyler, the most elegant solution I've ever seen to the problem you and I have talked about when a movie, when a movie has within it, something that is supposed to be great art. Oh yes. Okay. And it, it always runs the risk of like, well, what if, you know, we hear this and it, hear the song or see this painting yeah. and it sucks. So the, the great art that, uh, that Polly loves in this movie are just rectangular light boxes that just give off light kind of like, uh, Marcellus Wallace's briefcase in a way, yeah. you know? So like when she sees it, that's not what she's seeing. She's seeing right. paintings, but we're seeing essentially what her, she's seeing in her mind, which is just this golden glow. Yeah. And it's, it's a really great, uh, uh, solution. Yeah. Um, because and it also has the very filmic, uh, result of like when, when the, when the camera is just on Polly looking at a painting, she's still bathed in the light of the painting. So even though we're not seeing it, we're still seeing right. the effect it's having on her in a way that's making her, her feel uh, really cool. Good movie. All right. Uh, I watched um, a documentary um, that, Oh, I guess is a 2021 movie. Hey, how exciting. I didn't know that. Uh, this is a, <laughs> a red letter day for me. Um, 
Uh, I just noticed that. Uh, and it's, it's available on Hulu. It's yet another one of these documentaries like, what is it? The inventor, like, you know, fire fraud or fire okay. festival. Um, and it's called we work the making and breaking of a $47 billion unicorn. Um, I had heard of WeWork, um, and I remember for a short time when they were like, you know, in their heyday, uh, and Jen was looking for office space, uh, she cons- considered like doing that and, and you know, a place for her and her employees to, to gather. Um, and so, and then, you know, uh, it sounded like a workable model, and then it very quickly wasn't, uh, and mostly because they were spending way more money than they were bringing in, and there was no real way to reverse that. Uh, and so, like so many of these other films, it really is about the the creator or the the founder of WeWork. His name's Adam Newman, and his charisma and his vision and his philosophy. And, you know, you st- after a while, look, I'm not, you and I are, are millennials. I've heard that we're on the cusp, but uh, it sounds like we are. Geriatric um, millennials, I think. Is, the is that what is? Oh boy. Yeah. <sighs> That's unfortunate. I'm already 40. You know, <laughs> I don't want to be called that, but, uh, but yeah, they're like, I'm, I'm noticing a trend, not so much in, things that actually happen, but in movies made about those things um, where, you know, the, certainly the, in previous generations, there were, uh, you know, con men and that sort of thing. But I think they knew they were conning people. Whereas here, there seems to be a consistent like, I want to do this amazing thing. And simply because I want to do it, and I have a tremendous personality and I can get people on board with the vision that I think that's enough. And it, and for a while it is enough. Uh, and then everyone, and then like the numbers come in or in the case of something like Elizabeth Holmes, uh, the, uh, the, the science comes in and there is like, Oh, this is not physically possible. Shoot. Um, now the, the fire festival guy, he is a con man, but I think he actually wanted fire festival to work. Um, <laughs> and so we work, it's, it's just, it's in the same vein. Like you could make a, an evening of watching one of the fire festival documentaries, the inventor and this, and you get a sense of, of like a specific type of millennial business person who is tremendous that everyone talks about like this person was able to convince me of this thing through their charisma alone. And Adam Newman is definitely that this definitely winds up being a portrait of him um, more so than, than we were because it took me, I think this is a flaw in the filmmaking. It took me a while to figure out like what we work really was and how it operated. Um, I think they maybe take for granted that, you know, that, and, with a film like this, everything about it is so straightforward that in a way it feels like it, look, if you're going to be so generic then, and just explain it and just have all these talking heads explaining everything, the least you can do is have, you know, you, you explain the downfall real well, but I would like you to at least explain what this company is and what their product is and how Adam Newman thought of it. Um, but they do capture sort of the 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 people that they interview. They do capture sort of the the spirit of things and the sort of cult like uh, element to WeWork, which is the same thing you hear about about Theranos uh, and all that. Um, but like, there are people who said like, you know, I'd be uh, in my office and I'm just working, but then. I would just randomly hear people chanting, we work, we work. It's like, I'm trying to get work done, you know? And, (laughs) and, and then there was a fascinating thing that I think is less known about them, which is there was, we live where they essentially created like a, a living situation with the same philosophy that as far as I can tell is just them trying to, uh, them trying to like recreate college, the college dorm experience um, for people that are out of, that have have been out of college for five years and maybe wish they were still in it. Um, Anyway, the movie is fine. It's informative um, up to a point. 
but it really it it doesn't it doesn't break the mold that we have already seen with so many other do, movies like it. Does the does the prevalence of these kind of documentaries raise the question when are investors going to learn? <laughs> Why well, do people keep falling for this? And so many of these, you know, because uh, I'm Jen and I are watching um, the Dropout on Hulu, which is uh, Michael Showalter's uh, <clears throat> uh, adaptation of the ABC podcast uh starring uh, a very good amanda seafried but you know we'll talk about that oh, on that's the, next the one TV that's journal. about yes elizabeth holmes pardon me yeah yeah um i can't keep all these people because natalie's watching the other one that's about anna delvey and i keep like yeah. i forget who's who <laughs> yeah this one yeah it's and what what is that one called i can't remember julia Damn. garner isn't it okay but yeah and so it's Inventing and a lot Anna, of the, a I lot think. of them a lot of them start you know started out like in the mid to late 2000s when uh, when like there's a tech boom and so if you have anyone who says like yes tech is going to be it is the future and we have this way of combining tech and you know the and medical testing we have a way of combining tech and renting office space we have all of these things um and you have older investors who, I mean, okay, let me, let's put it this way. I don't really, I was shocked that I was accepted to UCLA. I was 35. I'm white and male. And, you know, what, what perspective am I going to bring <laughs> to, to oh, this? Okay. You know, um, and th that has not been very well documented in the world of academia. And then a friend of mine said, he goes, it's podcasting. You, you are a part of new media and academia is still mystified by it. And so they just, they wanted someone in the, from the world of new media in their program. And so it is this feeling of like these older investors, like it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm young. I know how things work. And through tech, we can change the world. And they're like, well, shit, it worked with Facebook. You know what? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I think there's, I think there's a lot of that going on because I think investors certainly now, uh, not merely because of the documentaries, but also just knowing that like, oh, this company crumbled, this person just got uh, indicted, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I think they, they are now learning that simply saying the word tech with a charismatic tone is not enough uh, to, to uh, found a, a business. Uh, no matter how much you want to change the world. Um, so it's, it really, it's, it's tough. Cause I, I don't mean to talk about WeWork solely in regards to these other projects, but it is certainly of a piece. Uh, there's definitely a trend with these documentaries, podcasts, books, and, and often miniseries. Um, and I feel like it's maybe not painting the best picture of uh, ambitious millennials. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it look like we just we just think that through sheer force of personality we can get we, we can make it something happen and uh i don't think we can look we made battleship pretension happen and i think that's the peak 